So probably by now, most of you have exchanged Valentines. If you're in school, you have exchanged cards and maybe got those gross little candy hearts things with the messages on them. I can't believe those things have been around for generations. Um, Perhaps you have a tradition in your family where you have box of chocolates or candies or other fun things in celebration of Valentine's. Uh, it's a unique holiday, kind of an interesting one, celebrating uh, a, a martyr. But I want to ask you this morning, how is it that you show love? Saying you love someone is not hard to do, but showing someone you love them is another matter entirely. I think one of God's great purposes in our lives in this world is to teach us how to love. We don't do that naturally. A newborn baby, we have a a newborn babe, a a new little nephew, Christy's brother uh, and his wife, celebrated their new child, Creed, their little boy, and that little boy is surrounded by love. And as loved as Creed is, I can tell you quite honestly, Creed doesn't care a whole lot about everyone else. He only is concerned about himself. We all start that way. We all care more about ourselves than others. And one of the many things that God tries to teach us is how to care about others as much or more than we care about ourselves. That's what love is all about. God demonstrates that to us throughout this whole story. It's all about God's love for us in Christ Jesus. The whole redemption story is is based on the fact that he loves us so much. And in your life, you will experience things like marriage and having children, and your heart will grow in love, but it still won't quite be God's love. So... This morning's lesson was a little bit of a deviation from the plan, but as we think about love today, I want you to point, or I want to point you in the direction of what the message of the Word is all about. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 16, well-known verse, uh, one that's probably known and memorized, and you think, oh, as you, heard, as you hear John three sixteen, I don't even need to turn there, because I already know what it says. And that may be the problem. We take it so for granted that we don't even consider worthy of dwelling on it, of even opening up to the page. John chapter 3, verse 16 is a verse on love. The love that changed the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We, We instantly see this is love on a whole other level. I, I love my family. I love my spiritual family, I have a son. And as I look at you this morning, and I look at the camera that that points to all of you, 
I can tell you, there's, there's not a person watching and there's not a person sitting here that I love enough to give up my son for. I don't. That's a high price. And it saddens me that we take that for granted. The depth of God's love for us. That he wasn't willing to spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us. Not to condemn us, but to save us. Love is, is the holy motive. And in the English language, at least, that's where we often get confused because we've cheapened love to a feeling. You know, we, we've cheapened love to, to a Hallmark movie, to a chick flick, where it's all based on a feeling, a moment. And that kind of love really is bound up in selfishness. God's love is much deeper than that. It's much more mature than that. It's, it's much more lasting than that. And indeed, it's the only kind of love that can, can save us all. One definition for agape love is that unconditional love. It's a decision that God made beforehand, long before you and I ever understood the, the, the depth of that decision. A pre-made decision, a choice made in the interest of the greater good, a choice that would be costly, a choice that would require self-sacrifice, and yeah, a choice that would require acting in spite of feeling. That's hard to do. Uh, Matthew describes this, uh, describes Jesus' account of this, rather, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 and 37. Matthew 22, 36 and 37, and this was prefaced with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? There were well over 600 of them. The Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders loved to argue and debate about which ones mattered most. And so, pulled him into a, uh, just a, a bit of an argument for argument's sake. And Jesus settled the matter firmly. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in, in the law? And he said to him, Love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On all, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. All of the law. Our family's been doing family Bible reading. We're, we're pouring through the law at the moment. I can tell you it's not the most exciting reading, but all of that hangs. And Jesus, or Jim was talking about prophet Amos this morning. All of the prophecies of Amos and other prophets and the laws hang on these two very commands. It's agape. It's the most mature, deepest kind of love, and it's the love that God desired, desires to, for us to understand and to attain. So it's, it's, it's where he starts. He doesn't just ask us to do something he hasn't already done. But he starts with that. 
for God so loved, for God so agape. Love is the master's measure. Again, in our world, especially in the English language, the word love has been so misused and abused. Um, I could tell my wife of almost 22 years that I love her, and then I can also say I love Chick-fil-A. Now, we understand that those two things are not the same. I mean, they're, they're, they're close some days, but they are, they are different, right? I have a, this measuring, I don't actually know, it's just 18 inches, not a yardstick, so it's half a yard, but it saves my desk, so if ever I need to measure something, it's right there. And this is a standard. This is a standard of what anywhere between 0 and 18 inches represents. It's a universal standard. When we talk about love, there aren't a lot of standards. God's love is the standard. God's love is the self-sacrificial standard for love. And so what does, that, what does that mean when we say that God's love is the standard? It's the measure by which we measure everything else. When you say you love someone, you're measuring it by your standard. When you say you love something, you're measuring it by your standard. But God's love, the agape love, is, is the greatest standard. It's the master's measure. It's described in 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's really not, I mean, we use that, read it at weddings and so forth, but 1 Corinthians 13, in, in context, is really Paul speaking to a church that lacked so much love. And they were fighting and they were divided over big things and small things. And Paul, one of the particular areas they were divided over was spiritual gifts. Oh, this guy's a great teacher, and this guy, he speaks in tongues, and this guy has a gift of knowledge, and you know, they kind of ranked all of these gifts. And Paul said, whoa, hold on a second. You have completely forgotten the standard of what matters. Verses 4 through 7. Love, agape, is patient and kind. Agape does not envy or boast. Agape is not arrogant or rude. Agape does not insist on its own way. Agape is not irritable or resentful. Agape does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Agape bears all things. Agape believes all things. Agape hopes all things. Agape endures all things. Agape never fails. There's a reason it's the standard. Because it's the best measure by which you can measure all other standards. I mentioned my son. I have a 10-year-old daughter, Grace. Most of you know that. She tells me on occasion about some boy that she likes. And so one time I was asking her, I said, well, you know, tell me about this young man. I said, is he, is he patient? Is he kind? Is he envious or boastful? Is he rude? Does he insist on his own way? 
and on and on. Now, whether she knew it or not, I was planting in her a high standard. That as she grows, someday she'll, she'll understand the things to look for. Not just whether he looks good and wears the right things and says the right things, but how does he act? We, we use the standard to measure that. It's the master's measure. Jesus said in John chapter 13, Something kind of interesting because on the surface it doesn't seem to be true. Which you think, well, what would Jesus say that it isn't true? John chapter 13. Verse 34 and following. John chapter 13, 34 and following. A new commandment I give to you. So that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now love just on the surface was not a new command. That command had been given in the Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 19. There are a number of places where the command is given to love God and to love your neighbor. So, what what's new about this command? Well, in my view of it, Jesus takes the standard and he applies a personal part of it. He says, love just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And that, that made it new. Because it wasn't just a law or a rule, it was now a person. Look to the example of how Christ had loved his disciples, and that was the standard by which they were to love each other. In that patient, kind, non-envious, non-boastful, not arrogant, not rude sort of way. In that way that didn't insist my way or the highway. In that way that wasn't irritable or resentful or rejoice at wrongdoing or, but rather rejoiced with the truth. And that, that love that bore all things in those three years with his disciples. That love that believed all things in those disciples even when they fell short of the standard. That love that hoped all things And saw the potential even beyond what they were able to see. And that love that endured for them all the way to the cross. He personified it. And then he said, now with that kind of love, I want you to love each other. John will go on to say in 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. We love because He first loved us. Now that's not really hard to do. You, it's easy to love someone who loves you and who loves you first. But look how He points it. He just does it exactly like Jesus did. Whoever claims to love God, well that's easy to do and yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command 
Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I see, love is the motive, and it's the measure, and it's the calling that you and I have. The, the responsibility that we bear in accepting God's love is showing God's love to our brother or sister that we can see right here or at home. However you can see them, the important part is that you show them. That's where it matters. God's love is not in question, but, but my love for my brother or sister in Christ whom I can see, well, that, that wavers a little bit more, doesn't it? But this is the key. Because it's the only way for harmony to exist and for peace to endure and for unity to prevail. You think about how divided our world is right now. Politically, in terms, uh, you know, it's the left versus the right. Some leaders will try to divide the rich versus the poor, the have versus the have-nots. Some will try to divide by skin color. Some will try to divide by any means possible. And that's the work of the enemy. He's always trying to divide. And God, God does quite the opposite. He's always trying to bring people together. He's, he's trying to bring unity. But the only way that happen, that happens, turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 12 and following. John 15. This is my commandment. Again, Jesus talking. That you love one another as I have loved you. This is the standard, right? Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. We often think about laying down our life probably in more of a grand way. You know, A car was bearing down on someone and there was no hope of escape. Sort of this grand, heroic, gesture that you Hollywood would produce, right? That that grand act of substituting your life for another. Of course that, that the greatest example of that is in Christ Jesus at the cross. But but look what he calls us to that we lay down our lives for another. Perhaps maybe possibly in the grand gesture you might be called to do that someday. But, but I am for sure that you will be called to lay down yourself for another in a way that will make you uncomfortable, potentially irritate you, potentially cause you to be judgmental, you know, cause you to just, it just annoys you because of something you have to do. But What's happening there is you're laying down yourself for another. That's the basis of love. It's not being right, it's doing right. And that's not easy to do because when you lay down your life, it hurts. 
There's a part of your flesh that is unsatisfied. There's a part of you that feels let down and disappointed. But that's not the point. If Jesus laid down his life for you and I, this is the cost of discipleship. That we be willing to lay down ourselves for another. Now, hear these words again that we've already read. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We get confused on that. The way to show you're a disciple is the name on the building where you go. The way you know you're disciples, you partake of these emblems. The way you know you're disciples, being baptized into Christ. The way you know you're a disciple is how you worship. The way you know you're a disciple is we have a huge list of things for which we know that someone is a disciple. Jesus shortened the list to one thing. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying other things aren't necessary and required and all that. I'm just showing the difference between Jesus' list and our list is this. By this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think that's the greatest testament to the church. The people from very different walks of life, very different views on great matters and small, can be together and lay down their life for another. That, if done properly, will make the world marvel. But it's hard. It's more than chocolate, you see, and far more costly. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We love because He first loved us. Little children, let us not love in word, but in deed and in truth. Let me leave you with one final verse before we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Toward the end of that same book, toward people who were divided arguing and bickering and totally missing the point of what Jesus had called them to. And he kind of closes the letter with some final instructions. Yeah, don't forget about this, and don't forget about this, and don't forget about this. In verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 16, he says this, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. It's the high calling of Jesus. It's easy to accept that that kind of love has been shown to you 
The hard part of it is, are you willing to show that to others? Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to sacrifice your comforts for the best interests of another? Uh, that's, that's the much harder and higher and more costly calling. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. Father God, we are in every way that we understand and far more ways that we do not dependent upon Your grace and Your mercy and most assuredly Your love. And You have revealed it to us in so many ways and through so many scriptures and stories of Your Word that we confess that at times we have taken that for granted and we repent. Father, may we look anew with fresh eyes and a fresh heart at what it means to love and the great cost at which true love comes. And may all those who hear your word and all those who have a heart to obey be willing to do as Jesus did and lay down our lives for others. We confess, Father, we are selfish, fleshly creatures who want what we want it and always believe we know what's best. Father, we ask that these words from your word might remind us that love calls us to lay all of that down or something better. And may you give us the courage in our heart to rise to the occasion. We pray this in the name of your Son, who laid down his life and rose in the eternal sense that we might have hope of life eternal with you. We look forward to that day through him. We pray this all in his name. Amen.